Um, thank you all. Many of you have had uh, positive comments to say uh, on this series that we're doing. I really appreciate your thoughts and your uh, encouragements, and uh, that is uh, always, always delightful. Um, we're going to explore the, the cry of the heart um, that's found there in Galatians 4, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. We've looked at various cries of the heart. Uh, we looked a couple of weeks back about the Pharisee, um, where Jesus is giving a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and the Pharisee has no cry in his heart. He has no concern. He's quite, quite, uh, quite pleased with his accomplishments uh, before God's law, and he has no real cry. We looked at the, at, at the cry of, of, of the person who is broken and weak. We've looked at the cry of those who are powerless. And, uh, and today we're going to look at the cry of, of those who are connecting with their sonship, their, their adoption through Jesus. Um, and uh, to do that, I want to set it up a little bit. Uh, one of the classic books that you have to read before you leave this earth is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. 1972, uh, J.I. Packer wrote this book. I um, encourage you to, to read it. In the introduction, Packer borrows from another theologian who describes life in terms of a perspective of two things, two, two perspectives. One is a perspective from the balcony, let's say a hotel balcony, and uh, looking down upon the street and sort of thinking that they understand life from the view of the balcony. And then there's people who are down on the street, the street-level understanding of life, and uh, the people who have real issues and problems and need direction and need purpose and need guidance and need uh, issues in their life dealt with and fixed and uh, are troubled. And Packer is writing his book called Knowing God for the People on the Street, the street-level perspective. And I have to say that I've actually had an experience where uh, the, the image of a balcony and the street uh, came vividly to mind as I was thinking about uh, Packer's imagery. And there was a time back in the mid-90s when I joined another uh, uh, director of student ministries uh, in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. That's the capital of Honduras. And we went down there together uh, to scout out a missions experience for teenagers who would be coming in about six months. And so this other gentleman and I, we hung out for about uh, five, six days or so. And in Tegucigalpa, we were there um, starting our, our planning. And we, our first evening there, were on the balcony of this beautiful 1940s, uh, think of just a beautiful Spanish-style hotel, and enjoying the, the view uh, of, the, of the city, this amazing city. We had not yet entered into the city's life yet. We were just sort of that travel mode and getting, getting used to things. But very quickly, the next day, we got involved in the details of the upcoming missions trip, meeting people, and we went first to an orphanage. And it was here that we began to sense the cries of, of these children and to get a feel for what it was like to be an orphan in Honduras. And as we moved throughout the city, we began to sense the, the, the heartbeat of the city and the, the difficulties and the poverty of the city. And I remember looking out on the balcony and thinking I sort of understood Honduras a bit. And I remember reflecting about how much I had gained to understand the real issues in the hearts of people in, in Honduras, at least in the short time I was there. And I think for each of us today, we're, we're probably in one of those two places. You're either 
really caught up in the cries from the street level, or maybe you're sort of caught up in looking at life through the bal- on the balcony viewpoint, and you have lots of advice for people, and you have, you have a perspective on things, and you think you see things clearly. But Christianity is really all about the street level issues and the cries of the heart. This text is really about finding your true north. This is an extraordinary text. Uh, I cannot commend it enough for you parents to know it well and to train your children in its truths. Um, If you are a a uh, college-bound student, uh, to know well the gospel found in these passages, uh, I cannot commend this enough uh, for you. Uh, There are orphans in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And there are orphans in Kailua, Hawaii. And God intends uh, through his gospel to reach them. Let me uh, explore a couple of of, uh, ideas from these texts, actually three ideas. And these are what we cry from the heart or what what, what do we say in light of these truths. And so verses 1 through 3, I think there's something we say. Uh, in the following verses 4 and 5, I think there's something we say. And then in verses 6 and 7, I think there's something that we say. So what do we say when um, these verses are heavy upon our heart? Let me read these to you. Verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean that the heir, uh, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what do you say when those truths, and we're going to unpack those truths, what do you say when those ideas are really on your heart? What Paul is essentially saying is that children are the same everywhere. They're always under instruction. They might ultimately own the house, uh, but they're always under instruction. And what is that instruction like? Do this. Be this. Stop that. Start doing this. They are constantly under supervision, and they're never out from under it. Paul is trying to reach the Galatians who are wanting to go back under this supervisory structure again. The Galatians are buying into a heresy, and the heresy is this. Jesus is cool, but circumcision makes you even better. Crazy. They're buying it. Jesus is this. He's okay. You've got to have him. Sure. He's important. But this. And you can always detect legalism when it has that kind of feel to it. That's good. That's all right. Of course that's right. But this. And so you can hear that. Listen, listen for that. Uh, wherever God would lead you, that is a, the heresy of legalism. And so Paul's trying to bring them back uh, out of this legalistic structure, and he's trying to tell them that even the law of God, which was good, uh, particularly the Mosaic law, uh, saying to the Galatians, look, You don't want to go back underneath that law. You will forever be under its obligations. Turn by faith and embrace Christ. Really, verse 3 summarizes what he means. In the same way also, when we were children, 
we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, that's kind of a fancy way of saying, look, when you're gonna, if you're going to make a religion, you always have rules that go along with a religion or precepts or keys or ideas that you have to adhere to. That's sort of how people think in terms of law keeping. You have to do something to be acceptable. And you think of world religions. But there always, there's something that you have to adhere to. There's something you have to do. There's some sort of discipline you have to practice. And when you do this, you will reach a state of, and they have various interpretations of, or, or uh, conclusions as to what that might be. Uh, nirvana, a state of bliss, a state of peace. But you have to do certain things. And Paul says, that's just kind of how, that's just the basic elementary principles of the world. But to convince people who say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good with those elementary principles of the world, to, to convince anybody who thought, yeah, that, well, yeah, sure, there's 613 commandments in the Bible and I'm doing pretty well, right? Anybody think of that, Paul would say you were enslaved to these things. Now that will wake up even religious people. What do you mean I'm enslaved? Well, you need relief because you cannot keep this. You cannot keep this. In fact, the point of God's law, one of the first key points of it, is to drive into our understanding that we need relief. We need a Savior. And to make it more clear, Paul does say that Jesus was born under the law. In verse 4, the point is, Jesus is the one who will bring us relief from the law's accusations. We think of Matthew 11 when Jesus says, he says to a certain group of people, not to everyone, but he calls certain people to himself and he says, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Now, it's not so much that life is just troubling, But it is weak, you are weak and heavy laden because you realize you cannot keep the law of God. It is a weight upon you. You see, this is the street level view of things. This is the awareness that everyone has to some degree or another. But the book of Romans chapter 1 tells us we are suppressing this knowledge sort of like a I mean, I'd illustrate it almost like a beach ball. We're pushing a beach ball under the, under the water in the, in the pool. We are suppressing this knowledge. We're aware of it, but we want to put it out of our mind the second we're aware of it. All of us are aware that we are morally accountable to God. Paul says that those who have received the law of God are under a tutor, a, a trainer, a schoolmaster, But it is actually a harsh experience. It is a hard experience. It's not an experience where you realize, I have done well. You're always taught that you have fallen short. There's always something more for you to do. And of course, what is the highest goal of the law? It's not just the meticulous keeping of certain commandments. It's actually giving God what he is due the whole of your being, you are to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. Is anyone convicted at this point? Is anyone concerned at this point? 
You see, you summarize the whole of the law going toward God. I am to return to him the love that is due him. And I am also, and this is, that's Deuteronomy 6, and then Leviticus 19 comes along and says, oh, and by the way, you're supposed to love your neighbor with the same standard as you love yourself. And Jesus blends these two together, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, and, and answers the question, what, is, what do I owe my neighbor? Uh, what is the greatest commandment? What, am I to, what is the greatest uh, expression of obedience? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So, what are we to cry out when verses 1, 2, and 3 of Galatians 4 are at work within us? When we realize, whoa, I'm enslaved to an indifference to God at best. And actually, the Heidelberg Catechism would tell us that we're actually hating God. We're actually clenching our fists saying, who are you to demand such things of me? So, what are we to say when the law is actually felt in its weight upon us? What are we to say? We are to cry, uncle. We are to cry, I cannot do this. I cannot return to you the things that I owe you. I am not able to do it. And that's what we resist, but that's actually the gateway through which we will become teachable, broken, willing to put on a new identity. Law-keeping, religious people... That all works at the level of the identity. That is a way of its... If you have a sense of of religious accomplishment, it kind of fuels the way you live. You're kind of like a peacock. You kind of move through life. We have a peacock in our neighborhood, by the way. You should come up and see him. I'll show him to you. He's quite a, quite a character. Big dogs come, bark at him, unmoved. The peacock just stares like, what is that? Amazing. And I've seen other animals come and approach, and the peacock doesn't back down at all. Peacock is ready to engage, ready, because this is the peacock moves throughout our neighborhood as if it owns everything. It, it, jumping on top of houses, crying out. You know, just, uh, some guy said that uh, he lives right near where the peacock hangs. I said, oh yeah, two in the morning, he'll just start just you know crying out. Religious accomplishment produces this peacock kind of, right? right? This, sort of, this sort of way of carrying yourself. I need no transfer of my core identity. I'm doing fine. Now, again, I've quoted Blaise Pascal a couple different times. Uh, he's a Frenchman, years, lived years ago, and he was the first one to catch on to the modern spirit, the way modern people think. And Pascal's the one who came along and said, look, the idea of happiness uh, really looks like this. You want to live forever. When people think about being happy, they know they have to live forever to be happy. We're all going to have a short time on this earth. So Pascal says, well, what we do is we put all that out of our mind. We just don't think about it anymore. We're not concerned about it anymore. Meaning, we figure out a way to experience diversion we rationalize another kind of living and we put thoughts of ultimate issues out of our mind. What we do with things like verses uh, 1 through 3 of Galatians 4, we sort of put this out of our mind. I'm not really enslaved. I'm not really, this is not really my condition. 
some entertainment, some things that would kind of give me some pleasure. This is what life's about. I'll put everything else out of my mind. I choose not to think about it. A Catholic writer uh, named Paul Claudel uh, wrote earlier in the 19th century, he wrote this. He says, we see ourselves as basically nice, benevolent people with, no, with, with minor hang-ups and neuroses that are the common lot of humanity. We rationalize and minimize our terrifying capacity to make peace with evil and thereby reject all that is not nice about us. You see, when the law is bearing down on it, by the way, good preaching should include law because you'll never become a a sinner before a, a holy God who needs a savior unless the law is doing its work. You see, what we actively do is we actively resist this definition of ourselves, that I am under an enslavement to the elementary principles of the world, I am never, ever going to achieve what God's law requires, which is righteousness. So what do you say when you never measure up? You say, uncle. You say, I get it. I turn away from all my attempts to achieve righteousness. I have in my heart an enmity toward the very lawgiver himself. What do we say? We say, I give up. And the call, excuse me, the cry, Abba, Father, which we're going to get to in just a moment, the cry, Abba, Father, actually moves through a process. Paul is taking us through a process, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and we're going to get to the cry of Abba, Father, verse 7. What's going to happen is the process of the law doing its work is most necessary. In fact, Galatians 3 Paul says that we were imprisoned, everyone, under sin. And that's one of the great tasks and work of the law, to highlight sin. So that the promise would be received by faith in Jesus. So we're all like a bunch of horses in a, in a uh, box canyon. Remember the old westerns, right? That's how they catch the wild stallions and mustangs. And they, 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 they get them all into a box canyon in which there is no way out. And this is for us. The, the, the way out, it doesn't feel like there's a way out. The way, surprisingly, is through the one that God sends, and the way will be through faith and to receive the gospel, which is now described in verses 4 and 5. So let's look at that. What do we say about Jesus who brings true relief? Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the previous example, uh, he uses the idea of children. And the only relief the children get from this the schoolmaster, the only relief the children get is finally when father comes along and says, okay, enough. You've, you've learned enough. You're old enough. And now you're an adult and you're, you're out from underneath this. So in verses 1 through 3, we're waiting for relief that would come when time, a certain time arrives. And Paul catches it, picks up on this theme in verse 4 and says, well, a certain time has arrived. Jesus has been born into this world. And this spells relief 
relief for those who are under the law. It's such a beautiful statement here because we would think that uh, the, verse 4 might go something like, and uh, you, you've met the law's requirements and uh, now the judge uh, dismisses you from his courtroom because it's such legal language up to this point. It's interesting that at the end of verse 5, we learn that the point of Jesus, the lawkeeper, Jesus, our lawkeeper, the point of his life is that we might receive adoption as sons. And those of you who are theologians here, you'll know the distinction between justification and adoption. And it was J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, who rocked the evangelical world a bit by saying, the greater blessing, imagine saying this, the greater blessing is adoption, not justification. Justification has to do with your legal relationship to the law, but it doesn't tell you about what the father thinks of you or even if you have a father. And Packer's the first one who said adoption. I'm sure there's Puritans and others in uh, Reformation heritage who said it, but Packer's the one who reemphasized the idea that adoption's the big deal because now you know the father's love and he wants you to be part of his family. And he's, Paul's driving this home to the Galatians. What are you thinking? You want to go back to law-keeping and orphan living, trying to prove that you are acceptable, and you'll never get there. You have to have God declare something about you. And this is why Christianity is not instructions. It is a declaration. It is an announcement. So the classic purpose of the law, the first purpose of the law is to drive us to Christ. It is to have we, where we admit our weakness under the law and we implore the help of grace that we might receive the adoption as sons. I think this is Galatians' version of John 3.16. I think this is Galatians' version of John 3.16. For instance, I would do, go like this. Let me blend John 3.16 with, with Galatians 4.4. 4. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that if people believe they can know the law's threats have been taken away and so taken away, so removed that those who live in fear can be adopted and never know the fear of God as their judge. Isn't that wonderful? Christianity at its core is not principles, keys, keys to better living, Uh, ideas to improve your life, Christianity comes as this extraordinary announcement for street-level problems in a real world where there is abiding guilt upon us continually. God is coming after the guilt and shame that has defined us, and he's coming at, at it with this extraordinary gospel, and he's saying, I want to adopt you and love you and love you with the kind of love that I have for my son. So what do you say to Jesus who brings this true relief? Well, there's so many things could be said here. I say, I say thank you. I say, I, I worship you. I want to respond to you. I say, I say, I believe. And maybe, maybe this is, for some here today, this is the first time you realize that all your efforts, all your striving, 
Whether you have a formal understanding of, of, of the Ten Commandments or a grasp of God's law, and, and these are new things for you, but you've sensed that you're under a burden. You sense that the whole of your life has been trying to achieve and trying to, to get to some place where you could at least feel on your own personal level accepted. And you f- you're starting to realize that all of this effort will never ever bring what you want. And God has brought a law-keeping Savior for you. What do you say to Jesus who brings this true relief? Well, we really don't know what to say until God trains us how to say it. Now, the next idea, and those are the how how we learn to say what we need to say is coming up in verses six and seven. What do you say now that you are an adopted child of God? If you have real faith in Jesus, simple faith, trusting faith, all that we're talking about today. Every day of Jesus is accounted to you, credited to you. Every bit of his goodness, everything that he represents is yours. And God will give you his spirit to assure you that you are adopted. And because you are sons, look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And it is this, he is an active spirit crying, crying within us, Abba, Father. Beautiful, those of you who love grammar, uh, beautiful use of the indicative here, a statement of being, because you are sons. You didn't get there because you kept the law. You got there because by faith you trusted in what God had done for you. And what God does, he He gives you a new identity, and we are to live from this beautiful, beautiful statement about who we really are. So, God is the sender of the spirit of his son, and now we are learning how to cry, cry, Abba, Father. Of course, the word means intimacy. The word can be translated daddy. Who who would ever imagine we could call God uh, such an endearing and loving and intimate term a phrase and the conclusion here verse 7 so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God and that has a beautiful forward-looking feel to it doesn't have a feel of forwardness to it an heir the future is yours the future is the uh, the unfolding of all that God has promised to everyone who believes in Jesus So it all felt really impossible, didn't it? Under the law, it felt impossible. But through faith in Jesus, now we have the very spirit of sonship within us. People long to be swept away. Uh, I see it in movies. You see it in movies. You see it in books. You see it in sports. You see it in, in so many of our pursuits. We want to be swept away. We want to experience peace, romantic love, carried away into ecstasy by something or someone. Uh, We are in search of the magic it. And often people experience a sense that this is really not going to work out. 
And they keep up the pretense. They want to sort of uh, look the part. But inwardly, they're realizing that all their pursuits are not going to bring them an escape from this, this despair. We have a remarkable gospel. Trinity Church, you have something to share with people. When you encounter anyone, they are under the law. They may not have formal training in in the Bible and what specific things would reflect the law, but they are aware enough of what God requires of them. And this is a conscious awareness. It is suppressed, but it never goes away. And God has done a prior work. Whenever you are talking to someone who is not a Christian, he is ahead of you. And this prior work, they are feeling the heaviness of it. They're feeling heavily burdened. Now, we've got to communicate clearly what does it mean that Jesus came to this world? What does it mean that he is the Savior? And many of them interpret it as a bunch of rules. You were just this way because you were raised a certain way, and you're just adhering to a bunch of rules. We want to make sure they know that you are trusting in Christ and he's the one who makes you beautiful. He's the one, he's the rule keeper and you are the rule shatterer. So this brings true relief. What you're experiencing in the gospel is true, pure love. Father, I am your child by grace. Teach me to honor you, adore you, fear you. Fear you in the best sense of the word. You have been more kind to me than I thought, than I imagined. And you have poured your very love into me. And so God is after orphans. God is after we who rationalized and minimized our status in this world as if we were nice enough. God has come after us and he's shown us to be truly desperate before his law. But he has been so kind in sending Jesus who kept every aspect of the law for us. Author Brennan Manning, who has influenced me in in this series from his book, Abba Father, he says this, he says, he says, when I sink into despondency and the inner voice whispers, you are no good, a fraud, a hypocrite, he says this, there is no truth in any image shaped from that message. And he goes on to quote another author, Gerald May, who is one who has worked with people recovering from various addictions. And Gerald May says this, It is important to recognize these self-commentaries, the things we say in our minds, these self-commentaries for the mind tricks they are. They have nothing to do with our real dignity. How we view ourselves at any given moment may have very little to do with who we really are. One of the great things about life in the church is we are hearing with very brave people the self-commentaries that we live in, the shame we embrace, the guilt we live under. Progress in the Christian life is preaching Galatians 4, 1 through 7 to yourself daily. Many of us today are under the burden of self-commentaries, statements we make about ourselves, 
And what we must do in the gospel is actively resist these identities. You are a blood-bought daughter and son of God. Such that God brought his son into this world for the purpose of not just you barely escaping his, his law. As if, well, okay, you got through by the skin of your teeth. God desires that you would know that you are adopted. That you are no longer an orphan. At the street level, you can walk with all kinds of confusing things going on in life and messages that feel like you are not loved by God. Circumstances that seem to dictate God has abandoned you. But through the gospel, you are beloved and God has brought into your very being the spirit that cries out, I'm a daughter, I'm a son. May we be relieved of our fears as a church together as we explore what it looks like continually to to live this Abba Father cry together. Preaching is one thing. Words that, that fill a room. But God has given us the Lord's Supper today that we would now hold in our hands what the Father thinks of us Come have a meal with me, my sons and daughters. I do not think of you as a rebel breaking my law. I see you through my law-keeping son. Come have a meal with me. I'm with you. We're in this together. Let's pray.